Okay, so here's the skinny. Mother has been to stay, mother has left. And I, I don't want to say it, but while she was here, she was doing my laundry. So now I'm doing my laundry because, you know, listen, in the division of labor in this household, my husband does the laundry um, and he's not here. And then my mother may have stepped into those shoes when she was here. So here I am doing laundry. And what's worse than doing laundry? doing overdue laundry. So I'm trying to stay on top of it, listeners, but how do I know? Do these need washing? I can't be responsible for my, my laundry filing. It sort of tends to just get chucked in a corner in the hope that something will happen. Anyway, how are we all? What's the cooking, listeners? All's well over here. I've got some exciting news for us today because we have a very special episode which has been made possible by the National Lottery, no less. We're talking about... We're talking about something so exciting. We're talking about Eurovision. Who else is as excited as me about Eurovision heading to Liverpool? Who out of you is actually going to Liverpool? There's all sorts of brilliant events going on. The whole place is just turning into a place full of glitz and exuberance and glamour. And I wish I could be there. And instead, I'm here in Australia. And try as I might, I haven't managed to find a quick round trip to come and celebrate with you all. But I know that if you are there, you're going to get in touch with us. And actually, we are heading up. The Homo sapiens team will be heading up to talk to people. One of the events that we're really excited about is what we're covering in today's episode. It's called the Euro Ball. And basically, the Euro Ball is a voguing extravaganza. And we'll see a thousand people head down to Liverpool's invisible wind factory to enjoy seven or eight Vogue houses competing for prizes. It's really cool, really cool idea. And each house will pick a country that competes in Eurovision and interpret its finest moments in Vogue categories. We've got lip sync fantasy, we've got realness, we've got femme and choreography. And today we are joined by Darren Suarez, who is the artistic director and founder of House of Suarez, which is one of Liverpool's most prestigious Vogue houses, which will be hosting the Eurobowl, and we're also joined by Ricky Beadle Blair. If you don't know Ricky, he's the creator and star of Metrosexuality, which is on Channel 4, and he's also directed things and starred in many other things, and he is going to be the master of ceremonies at the ball. They are both very, very interesting people, and we have a great chat, and we actually get into like the history of weirdly the history of voguing that Ricky one of the first times Ricky ever saw voguing was in Liverpool not my first thought anyway we get into all of that but before we crack on with that I just want to say a quick thank you to National Lottery players because since the start of the National Lottery in 1994 players have supported music and cultural projects in every corner of the UK the House of Suarez who we're talking to has been helped hugely through this funding and they've received over £250,000 in funding in the last 10 years helping Darren and his team reach out and work with communities across deaf and disabled groups and the queer, trans or intersex people of colour community. Right, just heading down to the um, the laundry. It's called the washing machine, Chris. Don't, don't show yourself up. Um, but firstly, I've got an email reply from the anonymous listener who recently came out later in life. So thank you for sharing that with us. Dear Chris, just listened to my next chronological instalment of Homo Sapiens and was beyond delighted that you read out my email and of creating an episode designed for the friends family of someone like myself at this stage of the coming out journey. I have to say I got a big boosted dose of positive emotion 
swarm me hearing you read the email alongside your encouraging endorsement and support for my particular story. Just opening the washing machine. Okay, so this can come out. This can go in. When do you think they'll invent a washing machine that folds clothes for you? Any thoughts? There we go. Back to the email. And my journey later in life. It's all new and overwhelming still for me. And so I seem to ball at the drop of a hat. But this was the nicest ball I've had in a while. So thanks so much for that. Oh, honestly, that is just so lovely to hear. And you having a ball, I want to give you a hug. Because it's a lot to go through. And... I'm very pleased that we may have been a small help in some way. Since I last emailed you, I have come out to my parents. This is so wonderful. They were initially supportive, and then after a day of processing, they had an about turn. Oh, maybe I spoke too soon, sorry. Um, and became less supportive and distant about the whole thing, which completely blindsided me. And it has been the worst pain to feel, but I'm viewing it as a necessary part of the process. And knowing this needs to happen if I have any hope of moving forward into my life as myself without being in constant fight or flight mode. Hopefully in time it will equalise for them and when the episode of Family Friends Checklist Advice episode is created, I'd love to feel in a place to send it their way. Well, we'd better make it then, hadn't we? We'd better get on with it. Many feelings here. One is that I'm, you know, I'm really pleased that you're doing okay. Um... And someone said this to me the other day, and I was reminded of the wisdom of it. You know, you have known for a long time who you are and where you're at. And when you come out, it is often new news to people. So they are just beginning on a journey of which you have been a passenger for many years. So it does take people a minute to get their heads around it. And um, I really hope your parents um, end up being the support that you need. And if they're not, all I'll say is you have us. You have the Homo Sapiens community to support you, to lift you up, to look after you. Thank you so much for taking the time to write that email. And everyone, keep sending us your emails. Of course, you know the drill. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com. From a very special email to a very special chat. Here is our chat with Ricky and Darren about all things voguing, what the House of Suarez has achieved, and Euroball. Here we go. You guys are hosting the upcoming Euroball together, is that right? Yep. So Ricky is my master of ceremonies, or I call him the corset because he pulls the entire show together. Yeah. We're producing it, House of Suarez, and what I'm doing at the moment is checking on all the houses, making sure that they're rehearsing well if they need any support or help. And I've, I'm in rehearsals now doing a piece of choreography that will be part of the show as well. So Darren's kind of the visionary over overall director of the event and my job is to be the the MC essentially like in cabaret and say, you know, Vilcom and <laughs> the Avenue Vilcom <laughs> and then just kind of yeah, try nice. and keep the evening going and keep the energy up and keep the, my you know, be a hype man for the crowd and how did you two ever first meet? Because you've worked together for a long while, right? Feels like five minutes, but yeah it is. 2007, I think it was. Yeah. Me and another artist, Darren Pritchard, we both done a, a show, or we were part of a show where it was called Out the Box or something. It was a queer hip hop night. And so as part of that world of kind of urban 
queer culture, Darren and Darren were were voguing. I was absolutely blown away by them. I was there touring in a show, but they asked me to to um to host this event. So and then these two amazing visions came onto the stage and I was just fanboying out of all proportion and I'd loved voguing so much. And uh and there it was right there and I was getting to host a little bit of a Vogue event. That's how we met on that literally on that stage. One of the ideas when I was working with Homotopia was to create a Vogue ball and it was trying to demystify to the community and the public what voguing was and when they were putting the team together we were thinking what's really vital and we were working with Ducky based in London and we were working with Homotopia mm. and House of Suarez and I just literally said the only person I can see hosting this event has got to be Ricky Beadleblair just because of his energy his outlook his love and his projection of just being able to command an audience and to be honest with Ricky doing the first ball it sort of set the standards um and we've worked together ever since uh, every yeah. ball in fact I was so enthusiastic that first night I did a high kick and split uh, at the beginning of the show and tore all the muscles in one of my legs Ow. and so my <laughs> leg was filling with oh, blood my. the whole time the big oh, massive massive bruise I kept getting people to get me ice packs from the bar and I would squeeze it between my legs <laughs> and uh, in between while I was commentating. I mean, nothing was going to stop me being a part of that event. It was just the most amazing. Uh, uh, Ricky does a fantastic job of building the bridge of communication about what it is and what people to expect and also the education of its background and the, the foundations of the black trans community with the pillars behind it all, really. Yeah, and I, you know, it's, that's a good place to start, isn't it? Imagine you're talking to my mother. Uh, what, what is a Vogue ball? What is Voguing? Voguing for me, I mean, it's different for different people. It's a way of life for me as well. But um, I started way back in 89 when it first came over to the UK. So in 1989, it was in Ibiza. The Brits were over in Ibiza partying hard. They then came to the UK, Vogue, uh, people seeing this style of dance and... I was a wee nipper, a little chicken, and I just seen this handful of three or four dancers creating these beautiful moves and just so elegant and so confident that I literally made a beeline for them um, and just learned some basics. But as the years have gone on, I was able to have access to more information about what voguing is and the community and how important the community is and was for these people. My first experience of voguing was probably like 79, 80, where, you know, that the kind of height of the disco era. And um, when I was mm. a teenager and, you know, going underage to clubs, uh, and I remember these guys, there were guys who would dance with fans, you know, guy, kind of particularly guys with like moustaches, kind of like the guys in the village people. But there'd be these yeah. guys in the dance floor and they would dance with fans. And so they were making these beautiful shapes. And that was seemed to be some kind of subculture. That was a disco subculture. And then there were the, these, the, I'd see these black guys kind of just kind of lounging and posing at the side of the dance floor in a very exaggerated, I am deliberately posing. I mean, the time of the poser, you know, 1978, 79, there was literally a polystyrene singing a song called I'm a poser and I don't care because <laughs> it was big. But yeah. this was disco posing and they were, they're posing like magazines. And my friend said to me, Oh, that's, that's voguing. 
they pose like they're on magazines and then you walk up and down as if you're on a runway in this club. It wasn't a very particular dance, big dance floor, but they were walking across it, pose, walk back, pose. And that was the first time I, I heard the word voguing. And then, you know, a decade later, it was it become this huge thing with balls, as in like debutante balls, drag balls, where you would, people would be dancing, but also they'd be walking in categories. You'd make a makeshift runway wherever you were. It could be a local community centre or a club or a church. It could be anywhere. Everyone would turn up and then there'd be a runway and people would walk up and down the runway and they'd be given points for the most beautiful, the most elegant, the best runway walk. Um, and there's also the dancing. So you would hit the dance, you're moving to the beat, but hitting poses on the beat, always making yourself look beautiful, always making your body look beautiful. So if anybody took a picture of you at any time, you would be ready for the cover of Vogue. And so that yeah. was the kind of principle of it all. But by those late 80s, there were distinct categories. So you could be most fashionista, so the best dressed, or the best face, or the best hands, or the most feminine, or the most masculine, mm. the one who could pass for the most straight, or the, or the one who could pass for military. So then it became realness. If you could be convinced us that you were a real woman, that would be femme realness. But then you could have soldier realness, or executive realness. Have you got the right briefcase? Have you got the right suit? And this would be homeless kids, kids who've been thrown out of their homes, people, uh, queer people who couldn't get jobs that weren't maybe working in bars or hairdressing or sex work. You know, very small, very few jobs you could get away with if you were overtly looking gay. But they could, here you could be a star. Here you could be, um, you could prove it. You, if, if black people were allowed on the cover of Vogue, which they weren't at that time, you could, you could pull it off. If black people were allowed to join the military at that time, you could be a, a convincing soldier. If black people were allowed to run for government or um, be an executive and be out, they, you could pull it off. You could do it. And that essentially, mm. and meanwhile, the dancing is evolving and evolving until alongside breakdancing, so people start to become more acrobatic. So old way is the posing and it's all about glamour and beauty and elegance. It's not about breaking a sweat. But of course, as the younger ones come through and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're turning it into essentially a parkour event or a, or a break dancing event and they're, <laughs> yeah. they're double jointed yeah. with the arms so they can hit the most extravagant poses. Um, and they can fall on the floor in, in exaggerated glamour faints and, um, in what would look yeah. backbreaking, but they just get up from that as if they, you know, and, and are ready to walk the runway again. Yes. And then where were you seeing all this, Ricky? First saw it, seeing just glimpses of people in clubs. I was a dancer, so I travelled around the world. But I mostly saw this. You see glimpses of it in places like Germany and Paris, and in fact in Liverpool, when I did little tours and did shows out of town. But it really, it, of course, I saw it more in London because that's where I live. And the epicentre of it would have been New York and then satellite cities to that, that kind of, uh, black gay scene like Chicago and Los Angeles. No, it was growing and growing and growing. Mm. Once someone goes somewhere, they see that, they come home and they want everyone to see the latest thing.
And where does the Euroball kind of sit in that? You know, um, it's obviously it's a contemporary thing. Do, what's your take on it? How do you, how do you, how do you define the Euro ball and a, a Suarez Vogue ball? <laughs> There's nothing camper than a than Eurovision. Essentially, some, even when it's at its silliest, it's always quite sincere. But mm-hmm. what's great about it is you can laugh about it when you're watching it, but the people that are doing it are going They're for living it. Living their best life and. Mm. Yeah, they are, and they sweep you away in it. And the costumes are are something you look for. What they're going to wear, and what the pyrotechnics going to be, and that's just very vogue. What are they going to wear? And are yes. they, you know, are they going to throw down? And as the MC, you know, one of the things Darren was saying is like you provide the context, but also you're there to like guide people through, like. Just describe for me a bit what it's like being at a Suarez Vogue ball. You know, what does it feel like? I just tell them you're going to have the best night of your life. And of course, that's a big claim, right? And then if people come with me to see it and I'm driving them home afterwards, all I can hear in the back seat is, oh my God, oh my God, that was the best <laughs> night of my life. Uh-huh. I mean, they always sure. say it. It's the, the thrill you get from from seeing a really great artist in opera or seeing, you know, Michael Jackson or seeing David Bowie or seeing Beyonce on stage where, you know, they're not going half measures. They're giving you, they're doing everything they can within their, their power and imagination to entertain you. And then yeah. you have ordinary people will come up on this, on the, uh, you know, come up, up up there and walk for the first time. And you can see people somebody who didn't even come dressed for a ball and they you know, they're, and they're, they're the straightest looking person you've ever seen. And then I tell them this is their moment. So, and, and, and I, you know, I count them in for their walk and they walk down that runway and the crowd erupts at seeing, <laughs> you know, seeing kind of your dad do decide to vogue down the runway yeah. as well. And, you know, people in wheelchairs um, and, you know, people who've come dressed up, and, and they put on this amazing outfit and look slightly ridiculous on the way there. Suddenly they are the bell of the ball and the whole place is screaming for them. It's amazing. It's just, it's, and the music's incredible. Our DJ is incredible. Um, and Darren's choreography is, and everyone's choreography, there's lots of choreographers involved. Darren mm. just sets the tone for it all. And people, the energy, yeah, there are some people who sit there on their hands, you know, and they're like, I don't know what this is. It looks a bit weird to me. And by the end, they are up on their feet, stomping, screaming, um, and saying, and rushing up to me and going, next year I'm walking, next year I'm walking, next year I'm walking. <laughs> There's nothing like it. You can feel everybody just come together, people being set free and being able to live their, their best life. Are there going to be like nods to Eurovision uh, in in any way, shape, or form? So the content of this ball, um, each house or group, shall we say, they're usually called houses, like fashion houses, but we're diff- doing it slightly mm. different this time. Right. Each house will be given a different country, and they've been working with that theme. So, for example, we are working at the moment with House of Suarez, and we're Spain, obviously because my dad's Spanish. So all all right. our content on that runway is going to be Eurovision, Spain camp just just gorgeous with lip syncs and stuff like that and then you've got one person who's not an artist he's a he's more of a designer uh the house of twisted stitches and they're doing ukraine 
Um, and they just want to do that rendition. That's, I really wanted to ask that. Yeah, they, they're going to do that rendition when they're all in silver and they're going to go crazy for a minute and a half on the runway. And he's beside himself. Yeah. He calls it his gay Christmas every year. And I get a beautiful message <laughs> after, after, <laughs> literally, if, after every ball, he sends me a beautiful long message in WhatsApp and he's like, thank you so much for having me. He says, you always deliver the best gay Christmas ever. And it, it's, uh, it's how you touch people and what they leave with, which is brilliant. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Cause so a few times we're, you know, touching on camp and talking about the history of voguing like there is um uh, a sense of freedom and community in it that is so important mm. and a sprinkling of activism well there's no there's no more revolutionary act than just being yourself mm. it's the thing that we struggle the most you know when we're kids we have no uh we, there are no apologies for who you are they just are themselves in their purest essence and the whole world is available to them and then we start gathering all of the naysayers in our heads and we don't want to do that anymore. And mm. suddenly we start keeping quiet about who we are and who we love and, and who we've got crashes on and what we want to do and that we both want to play football and ballet. We forget, we hide all of that. Mm. And then the whole point of this is that you can go back to who you really are and whatever that is and whatever combination of characteristics you have and you can, you know, big thing I always tell people is that whatever's holding you back is what will take you forward. But, it, mm-hmm. you know, do a Barbara Streisand, turn your big nose into, to, into profile and show everybody how beautiful it is. And the people really see that when other people are doing that. They really see that when someone is, 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 is curvy and they, they wear something that shows that off instead of trying to hide it, mm. there's, it liberates everyone in the room. And that's really, that's such an important part of the whole thing. How did you learn that, Ricky? You know, like I learned it the way you learned it. You knew from the, when you got here that you belonged here and that you were absolutely, there was nothing wrong with you. Kids mm-hmm. who arrive with no arms and legs and just decide to wriggle around and worm their way around and play with their friends or get on a trolley with, two, with some wheels on it, and, and with absolutely no self-inhibition, they just know that they belong here. And then people start saying things to them. But yeah. you and I both knew, we all knew from the very beginning, the very simple, most fundamental fact that, that we're all equal and we all belong here and we should all be helping each other um, enjoy this amazing experience for as long as it lasts. And so when we get reminded of that, the excitement's intense. That's why people like watching sport. Because you see somebody, it seems silly to people that someone would, would kick a ball and, he- and head it and they, and they you know, juggle it with their feet. But when someone does it with elegance and then somehow overcomes a, a kind of series of puzzles and obstacles, then the, the rush is incredible because they're showing you what your potential is. They're showing you what you can do if you put your mind to it in your own way, whether mm. it's with a pen or, do you know what I mean? And that's yeah. the whole thing. That's the whole thing about voguing is that it says to you, oh, you know, you can claim your space in the world with no shame without offending or putting anyone else down. You can do that simply by liberating yourself. You can liberate a whole building. A thousand people in a building will cry out with ecstasy that you have liberated them by liberating yourself. 
And, uh, you know, and I, I really understand that thing you're saying about you're a kid and you just, you take up space and unapologetically. And then what happens for a lot of people is then you sort of work out like how you're supposed to fit in and you sort of start to censor right. yourself. And then right. a lot of people come through the other side, don't they? And then start saying, fuck that, I'm not doing it. I'm wondering if you had that middle section where you censored yourself or did you always have that self-knowledge? And Yeah, I did. <laughs> it never overwhelmed me, thank God, but... Yes, I did. And um, I, I was somebody who actually started writing when I was three, wanted to be uh, a, a novelist. So my mum was a, you know, an immigrant, came over from Jamaica. She had me as a teenager, only a couple of years after she got here. And she saw that I liked to talk, and that, as you can hear, and that I liked to read. And, um, and so she encouraged me to read. So by the time I was three and a half, four, I was I was announcing I was going to be a writer, and then wow. uh, then at seven I realised oh, oh you can write plays and you can write films, so I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to be in the films, and I'm going to you know, and it was all unlimited for me, and then it all started to close down when I was about ten, eleven. There's all these little things at seven, eight, nine. Oh, you're acting a bit like a girl, and why are you doing that? And and oh, you speak very good English for a black boy, and you know all these mm-hmm. things that people were saying that that went little minutes messages saying mm, you're already getting out of your out of our comfort zone mm. who are you what kind of creature are you and you start to just rein yourself in a bit and then and I was going to I started secondary school and I knew I could perform and I knew I could literally design put together a whole play and they didn't know that they just were oblivious to that and all they wanted to focus on was you know am I good at maths am I good at history and you know and I was in the top class but it meant nothing because I knew brilliant people who were in the bottom class were my friends and I felt we were all equally smart and and creative but we've been streamed according to a system and not according to our individuality and Mm. then I was really lucky all these hippies moved into Bermondsey which is where I'm from in South London right by Tower Bridge and um and and they they started an experimental school um, called Bermondsey Free School and they, I could go in and wear what I wanted say what I wanted ask any question I wanted set my own curriculum entirely um, and it, it just completely reset me back to the person that I was just starting to stop being and so I just made plays all the time and they would give me uh, buy me a cinema ticket every week and I'd go and see a movie and write a review and I'd make these films and stuff and that really really really, really helped me carry on being as creative as I wanted to be through my teenage years until my school ended when I was about 15 because it was completely self-funded by begging from charities and begging local shops and stuff to support us. So I left school with no GCSEs, no A-levels, nothing, but this complete confidence in what I wanted to do. And then I went into the business and then immediately that started, oh, you've got to be in equity and, oh, you've got to have a headshot and you've got to... Be more, you've got to be able to pass the straight and there are no black directors and there are no black actors really, except for like the amazing Rudolph Walker in, you know, Love Thy Neighbor. There was nobody. There was so few people. And, um, uh, and so I started to rein myself in again and again and again. But then I just woke up to myself. Oh, I'm, I'm going backwards. And I just started putting on my own shows and creating my own stuff. And that has what has, has seen me right through until the moment I met Darren. We were doing a show that I was creating and directing up in Manchester. Um, 
and um, Darren was over from Liverpool. Again, yet another opportunity to just not only be myself for an evening at these vocals, but to encourage other people to be themselves. You know, I mean, obviously, a lot of them are turning up; they're ready to do that. But I'm I'm able to bring the crowd together so that they understand what it is this is that we're doing, and that each one of us is representing all of us. That's the end of part one of our chat with Ricky and Darren. Part two is on the feed. You know what to do. Powered by Spirit Studios.